going a little further. See how see how things go. Um, I just wanted to go over a few scriptures this this evening. Um, Boyd kind of touched on it. When we travel together, we give each other's talks every other night. So <laughs> he says what I say, I say what he says. But um, I was thinking about Abraham, and then Boyd ta- spoke a lot about the seed of Christ. And um, well, this afternoon when we were we we went over to Topeka and had lunch with some people. And um, uh, one of our friends that had gotten these people together, our friend Mary, who we've known for many years, and she made a statement, we are Christ living in the world. And uh, I think that's kind of foreign, that kind of statement. Those kind of statements are kind of foreign to some ears. It sounds um, too much. Some people have said it's prideful. Some people have said it's blasphemous because uh, we're not Him. Um, and um, and yet, I think that's exactly why He came. He came to reproduce Himself. Um, that's what it says in Genesis. We're made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that we're to express God. That's the purpose of humanity is to express God. Um, and anything less than that is not living according to the purpose for which we were created. The problem is, how do you do that? Um, and we, you know, we bat that around, and there are thousands of churches uh, and groups, denominations, whatever, that that delve into that. And, and a lot of people have different ways of looking at that. But I do want to talk about our identity. Because we've got to start start with our identity first. Jesus said, call no man your father. And that's not talking about Catholic priests and don't call uh, a Catholic priest father. It's talking about uh, understand where your heritage is. Um, that which is born of flesh is flesh. So we have our earthly parents... But that's not our full inheritance. That's not our eternal inheritance. Our eternal inheritance comes from our Heavenly Father. And that's who. What that's what the, the point Jesus was making when He says, Call no man your father. Consider God as your father. Um, Paul talked about the... Um, well, he was in Athens in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, traveling around. And he was waiting for... He, he got left in Athens and his entourage had gone on to some other places and he was waiting for him to come back. So he goes over to this... Uh, he's walking around and he sees that Athens, Greece, is a very religious city because there's there are shrines to all sorts of deities all over the city. And so there was a place in... Um, in Athens called Mars Hill where anybody could stand up. It's kind of like the internet of today. It's kind of like Facebook, if any of you have ever experienced that. On Facebook, everybody expresses everything they want to express. In London, they have a park called Hyde Park. And and anybody can go in Hyde Park and say anything they want to say and gather a little crowd and say, here's what I think the truth is. And anybody can say anything they want. And Mars Hill was kind of like that way, the Athens, the Hyde Park of Athens. And so Paul stands up on Mars Hill, 
And he says, you men of Athens, I've observed that you're very religious. You have all these shrines to all these gods, but I've seen this one shrine, and it says, to, to an unknown god. And he says, now that's the god I'm declaring to you. And then he goes on and he says something very interesting to these, what we would consider unbelieving pagans or heathens. And uh, heathen doesn't mean redneck bikers. It just meant people who were worshipping the, the, the nature gods and things like that. And um, he said, he, he talked about that we, all humanity, not just believing people who believe in Jehovah, but all humanity are the offspring of God. And he says, your own poets, the Greek writers said this. So the, the, the Greek writers prior to the time of Christ had an inkling. You know, the truth goes out into the, all the world. And God had, didn't only say the truth in, um, in Judea, in Palestine, in the writings of the prophets and the, and the patriarchs of the Bible. He, there are little bits of truth that God planted all over the world. And, and uh, it's in nature. Everything it testifies of Him. Paul says in Romans that, that, the, that the visible things testify of the invisible things of God. It's a, if you look out and you begin to see God in everything, you, you, it's, it's really kind of easy to see Him in nature. It's kind of hard to see Him in people. Um, but He's there in people too. And, and that's what Paul said to the Athenians. He said this incredible thing in Him all of you Athenians, and none of them believed in Jesus at the time. They didn't even know who He was. They never heard of Him. He says, in Him you live and move and have your being. So that, so that we're, contained within, we're, we're contained within God. Don't understand that. And you, but that, that's what Paul says. And being means existence. You have your existence in God. God is the only self-existent reality there is in the universe. We don't understand really what He is, who He is. We, don't, we only have our, our, our little toe in the tip of, of the ocean, just touching the ocean of what the truth of reality is. We're only get a, we only get a small little glimpse. But we know enough because God has revealed enough to know that in Him we live and move and we have our existence. Our existence is totally dependent upon His existence. We live within the existence or the being of God. My being, my existing, consists of the existing or the being of God. And it says that in Colossians for... Um, by Him all things consist. And it's talking about Christ, the Word of God. In the Word of God, which is which is not this book, Christ is the Word of God, and this book expresses Him and is to lead us to Him. But it's not Him; He's He is the Word of God, and so by Him, by the Word of God, the Logos, the the the, the eternal speaking of God, all reality exists, and it's upheld by Him every moment of every day. If God were to say, "Be no more," it wouldn't be anymore. It would have been as if it had never been. But for some reason, and I know the reason, the reason is because God is love. For that reason, this all exists and we're all here that God might reproduce Himself because, because of the fact that He is love. Love has one drive. It has one compulsion. It has one desire to go out of itself, to reproduce itself, and to continually expand itself. Love seeks to expand, to, to propagate love, to continually propagate it and propagate it and propagate it and expand it and expand it and expand it. That's why the scientists say the universe is expanding. 
That's another parable of this thing that, that God is love. And love is not like a black hole that sucks everything into itself and won't let it out. Love God God is this explosive love that goes out of himself and he's even so and, and he, he even demonstrates the quality of his love because in the in the center of the universe, in the center of the heart of God, it says as in Revelation, is a lamb as it were but as it has as if it had been slain. At the heart of God for throughout eternity before there was a sinner who needed to be saved, in the heart of God there is this little helpless, vulnerable lamb that God says He is. It sits in the middle of His throne. So we say the cross is in God's heart forever. That He dies, He exists, that He might give life to His universe. He might, he might be the servant of it. He might be the life of it. So that He's this eternally and other lover. Well, the opposite of that is a self-lover. And God eternally said, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be an other lover. And I'm going to demonstrate myself by, by the fact that this in, the, in my heart, there's this lamb who's slain for the life of others, that, other, that life might come to others. Um, when I first heard what we're talking about tonight, the man who presented it, a man named Norman Grubb, said there's two spirits in the world. There's the spirit of other love, love, self, love for others, and then there's a the spirit of love for self or self for self. And the and the and the and the spirit of self for self says, "I'm for me and to hell with you." And the spirit of other love said, "To hell with me and I'm for you." There's a big difference, you know. And that's that's the spirit of error that that has grasped the whole human race since the fall. And that's you, you see the evidence of it is that we we were trapped. We were, it says the God of this world blinds the minds of those who believe not, and and is causes us to believe that we're these little self-sufficient, self-relying islands of self that exist in a little shell, and that we do everything we can to protect ourselves and not let you in and not let much of me out and hide ourselves. That's what it means when they saw that they were naked and they began to cover themselves. I wasn't talking about genitals. It was talking about the whole reality of, of they 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 come into this that they they've been they know nothing but freedom and love and suddenly they know guilt and shame and 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 cowering and hiding and and they you know it is because they had bitten into the wrong spirit a spirit that says if you'll eat of this tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which is just simply the tree of I can do it myself and I can be myself as wise as God and therefore can become God if you'll eat of that tree, you'll become, the, ser- the serpent said, as wise as God. See, God's been holding out on you. When you eat this tree, you'll know what I know. You'll know what God knows. And that's what they bit into. And then they immediately fell because only God can be that. So when Boyd talked about the seed of the woman, what he's talking about was in that Genesis passage. I think it's Genesis 3.15, where the Lord, you know, the Lord God calls Adam and Eve. You know, he'd never had to look for him before. And he's, it says he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and, and uh, he says, Adam, where are you? Well, he'd never had to look for Adam before. And uh, Adam and Eve could still hear him. So they weren't out of earshot of God. I mean, we've never been out of earshot. We didn't become fall into hell and become raging devils for that one disobedience. But we came under His power and His sway. It says we became children of disobedience. And so the whole human race was trapped there. But 
God didn't leave us without um, a Redeemer right there on the spot. He says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It'll bruise, the serpent will bruise his heel or sting his heel, but the seed will crush the head of the serpent. So now the seed appears, and this is what I want to talk about as briefly as I just said all that. Um, I use a, you can tell where my revelations occur. I've got toilet paper for markers. Um, this is in Genesis chapter 15, and this is when God gives Abraham his first vision of who he is and of, the, of who he, what, how Abraham is going to be blessed by the Lord. And um, Genesis 15 verse 1, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, let's just think about that for a second. Although Abram did have lands and houses and much possessions and much cattle, he had many servants in his household so that he was a wealthy man, this isn't what God is promising him here. Nor is He really promising him real estate, you know, a certain piece of territory. He says right here, I am thy shield, I am thy reward. So the Lord God is laying it out right here. This is, I myself am your reward, Abraham. Abram was his, still his name at that point. So that's an important thing to remember. And Abram answers, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, we might be tempted to think, well, God, God has just told him that he's, the, he's his reward. And it, is this kind of unthankful of Abraham to, to, to immediately say, well, how come I don't have a son? Well, you have to understand what I just said earlier. It's the love driving us. The, the first thing that God said in, in Genesis to the people, to the, to the first humans, He said, um, Go ye out to all the world and multiply, reproduce. We've been pretty good at the physical part of that. Um, but God really wanted to reproduce spiritual sons. And this is His means whereby He does that. And, but the, and so the drive in Abraham is the drive already of the Spirit in him to reproduce. And the, to reproduce is the whole purpose, is to, is to create this family that, that multiplies and multiplies and multiplies so that it will cover the face of the earth. So that's why, Abraham, that's why this desire is in Abraham. It's, it's natural. It's a godly desire. And... Um, Abram says, verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is an heir. And he's, you know, he's thinking, I'm not going to have a son, and so, so my servant's son is going to have to be my, my, um, my heir. And so, and then in verse 4, Abram is told, and behold, the word of the Lord came, un, came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. In other words, your servant's son is not going to be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels. In other words, it will be your son from your own body. Now this is the key right here, what I want to get to here in a minute. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. 
So Abram, the promise that, that Abraham is given, you know, his la- name is later changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And Ab- God gave him that before he even had that name before he even had a, uh, his his heir born. So that's the way God does things. He calls things which be not as though they are. He says a thing is so before you see it, and that's one of the key. Um, principles of understanding what it is to live in God and how to walk in Him. Because we see things in the invisible before we see them in the visible. So Abraham, where God is calling this thing that does not exist yet, He's saying this is what's going to be. And Abram's righteousness was imputed to him at that point because he agreed with God and said, okay, I'll take what you say as truth. And that's all That's all our, our life with God is based on, is just saying, okay, Lord... I'll, I'll do it, I'll, or I'll, I'll believe it. I'll take it. You know, when when two men shake hands, they say, "Okay, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you five hundred dollars, and you're going to give me this card and shake a hand." And um, that's that's an agreement between the two, and then that's a bonding con- a, bound, a binding contract. And so it, it's just a given thing. You just take it and accept it as fact. And so that's all this is. Faith is not some magic thing where we where we work up some sort of mental gymnastics to, to believe something impossible. It's a simple acceptance. It's like a marriage vow. You, the minister says, do you? You say, yes, I do. And do you? Yes, I do. Boom, you're married. That's it. No, no fireworks, no nothing. It's just the Word. The Word seals it. And the Word causes the, the next... Theoretically, you know, the next 50 years of your life, if that's what happens, you know, you're married. And it all happens just because you agreed to it by just speaking the Word. So, that's what happened. God says you're going to have a seed. And I look at this part. And it shall, and it shall be as the number of the stars. In other words, it's going to be a vast number that you can't, you can't number. You can't count. And go ahead, over here to... Um, uh, Genesis 23. No, I'm sorry. Genesis 22. It's, this is this is just after um, Abraham has taken his son Isaac up onto the mountain of Moriah and almost sacrificed him, but the Lord stops him at the last minute. And we won't go over that, but I want to go over what he says to Isaac and Ab- Abraham and Isaac after that happened. He then repeats the same promise that he gave to Abraham, but this time he includes Isaac in it. And this is this is right after the 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 ram appears in the bushes just before Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son. And so they that part's over with. And so then in verse 17, this is the Lord speaking. He says that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the sea, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now let me just say this emphasize this point. The seed that he's talking about, he, he says, will be as nu- as numerable as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand in the sea. In other words, it's a vast number that he's saying is going to come out of this seed that, that, that is coming through Abraham. 
And the seed is passed through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it goes on through Judah. Then it goes on down to David. And then it goes through the line of David until it finally comes to Jesus, to Mary, and then Jesus Christ is born. Now let's jump ahead a couple of thousand years or so to Galatians. <coughs> Paul's talking about this same thing. He's talking about um, the promise given to Abraham. And he says, remember, when God showed Abraham up in the sky, he's talking about an innumerable company, and when he shows him the sand of the sea, he's talking about the innumerable company, and he says, so shall thy seed be. Listen to what Paul says about this. And he says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now Paul begins, gets real technical here. This is verse 17 of chapter 3 of Galatians. He said, He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. In other words, there's only he, he promised Abraham that one seed would come from him, and that seed is Christ. And then, again he says in, in verse 19, he says, He's talking about why did the law come, and the law was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So Paul has taken this seed, this, this promise to Abraham, who in, in the book of Genesis talks about this innumerable, innumerable company, and he said it's one seed. It's, it's not plural, as of many seeds, but just one seed. But look what he says about this one seed. In verse 20, starting with verse 27, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go verse 26. Galatians chapter 3. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, what do you get when you plant squash? Squash comes up. And when you plant tomatoes, tomatoes come up. When you plant Christ, Christ comes up. Now that's who's been born in us. He's been born in us to be us. But it looks like us. It's, we're not named Jesus. I'm named Fred. He's Tony. You know, we all have our own names. But Christ has come up in us. So that the life that, that is being expressed in us, the life that's being lived in us, is not just our own natural human life trying to emulate God, imitate Christ, trying to figure out what Jesus would do and then do that. But He is, he is Himself the instigator. He is the one Himself who has grown up in our own midst to be Himself in us. So that Abraham's seed is the way that it's fulfilled in its multiplicity is that it's one seed, but that one seed has come into all of us and, and grows up. And Paul says in this Galatians uh, chapter 4, he says, I labor in travail that Christ may be formed in you. So when we say, 
We are Christ. Uh, those of us who who are in Christ are Christ walking around on the earth, or are He living in our humanity, or He living in our form, or any other kind of expression that says that, we're fulfilling or we're acknowledging the fulfillment of this reality that when, that when God comes into us, His seed brings forth Himself in us. So that, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I'm crucified with Christ, and that old me, that old me that I inherited from the fall, which was this false sense of self-consciousness, this false sense of independence from God and separation from God, this false sense that God's up there and I'm down here, and I have to continually do things to get closer to God or to get Him to bless me. You know, it's like, I'll have to say it's like heathenism. We have to do certain things to make God come down and, and do for us. God, if I do this and I do this and I do this, come down and bless me, fill me, do all these things. No, God's desire is to come up from inside us. Jesus said, don't look over there. Don't look over there. The kingdom of God is inside you. It's within you. He's within you. Boyd quoted it a minute ago. He that believeth on me, out of his innermost being, or belly, shall flow rivers of living water. If they're, if they're flowing out of my innermost being, guess where they are? They're in me. You see, I've, I spent years of my, of, of my early Christian childhood thinking of God was up there and He was giving me stuff. I was trying to get love. I was trying to get peace. I was trying to get patience. All of these attributes of God and I thought He had little bits of them that He would give me if I just prayed hard enough and studied enough and did all those things. Then one day, through a series of events, I saw that all that was in me because He's in me. And He is all of those things. My, my, his, the completion is in Him in me. Paul says we, have no, we don't have our own righteousness, but we have the righteousness of God. Thank God we don't have our own righteousness. Jesus said, or, or it said, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21, which is one of the key verses of the New Testament, it says, He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. In other words, He took on Himself what we were. And then it says a really important thing for us to grasp and to realize and not continually to think of ourselves as less than we are. He said that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now see, unbelief and false humility says, well, I'm not really righteous. Well, He's righteous and He's righteous in you. You're right that you're not really righteous in yourself alone, but you're not yourself alone anymore. If He's come into you, He's your life. And He's your righteousness. He's your wisdom. He's your power. He's your strength. He's your love. And it's always there, available, every moment. At the, at the drop of a hat when it's needed, it's there. See, we can trust Him every day and every moment to be Himself in us because He's the instigator. He's the doer. Boyd says a lot of prayers is uh, getting God up to date. He's already up to date. You know, He's the one that prays in us. You know, it's not us going to Him and asking Him for things. It's Him moving us to, 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 to speak what He wants us to speak. It's Him moving us to desire what He wants us to desire. When you begin to trust that that life is in us, that he, He's the one that's come in, and he's, he's, he's my me. He's the I that I am. He's the real person inside me. And I didn't do it myself. I, and Paul, Paul has 
When I first read Paul, I thought he was some kind of egotist. You know, I, I, was, I labored abund, more abundantly than they all. He, God is mighty in me. And I thought, what kind of boaster is this? Until I realized he was speaking faith. He wasn't speaking of that he was anything. He was speaking of the fact that God is everything. And how dare we say he's not mighty in us? How dare we say he's not righteousness in us? He is. And we, we, we almost make a mockery of the cross to say he's not. You know, the, the, they wanted to crucify Jesus because he said, I and my Father are one. They said, Well, you can't say that. You're a man, and you make yourself as if you're God. Well, he says in John chapter 17 that we have the same one, that, that he prayed in John chapter 17 that the same oneness that he had with the Father is our oneness. The oneness that we have is the same that He has. That's what He prayed in John 17. I'm not going to go over it now, but look it up. That's what Jesus prayed. And He said, I and my Father are one. And the Father that dwells in me, He does the works. Well, that's the same thing as the Holy Spirit doing the works in me. It's the same thing as bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of my effort. It's the fruit of the Spirit who lives in me. And when you see that He's the one that does it, life becomes... You, 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 you discover an inner sufficiency you never knew you had. Because He's the sufficiency. I'm not righteous, but He is. I'm not love, but He is. But, he, but He's become one with me, so the love comes out of me. The wisdom comes out of me. It's not mine, it's His. But it's His good pleasure to give it to us. He says in Luke, Fear not, little flock. It is His pleasure. This is the Father's pleasure, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We act like He doesn't want to give it. We have to beg and do all this stuff and crawl on our knees and do the stations of the cross and stuff like that to make so God will feel sorry for us and give it. If fear not, little flock, it is that your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's His greatest desire. If any of us here who are parents know, you know that our greatest desire is to give good gifts to our children. We want our children to have the best. Well, how much more if the Father in Heaven? He wants us to have everything that He's, that he's got for us. And what He's got for us is heirs of everything. Jesus said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And we're co-heirs with Christ, it says in Romans 8. So we're, uh, we participate of that inheritance. So how dare we say we don't have that? How dare we say we're not there yet? It's, it's not up to us to say that. It's up to us to agree with what he's, what he's told us. This is who you are. Now believe it and walk in it. I'll stop with this statement. As ye have received Jesus Christ the Lord, which is how have we received Him? We've received Him by faith. Amen. So ye walk ye in Him. As ye have received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him. You've received Him, now walk in Him. Same way you received Him, walk in Him the same way. By faith. Lord, You've got me. Lord, You're living this life. I don't live anymore. It's You living in me. Amen. That's it. That's the whole deal. There is no more. That out of it, the proverb says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of it are the issues of life." And this is it. That's the that's the total deal. The inside you. When you see that, everything falls into place. All the other issues of the world, you can relate to through this through this reality of knowing that He is my inner life. It's not a hit and miss thing, as as Boyd says. It's not visitation. It's habitation. 
Mm-hmm. Abide in me. If you abide in me, and that just simply means live in me, remain in me. Just don't go out. And you don't go out because He's got you. You know, every moment of every day, He's got you. He's got you in His arms. Trust Him. Believe Him. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John, you got anything to say? Just a little end. Uh, 